Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We never got past the title Hose on Hardcore. Renee, today on the podcast we have one of my favorites, one of your favorites, and most importantly, you went on Twitter and solicited who our podcast listeners would like to hear from, Mary Carrillo. Yeah, it was amazing. When we asked everyone, who who do you want to hear from? And we still want to hear those, so keep them coming, but Mary Carrillo was the number one person that people wanted to hear from, and I think the reason that people wanted to hear from her is exactly what you're going to get today. Stories about tennis. She'll tell you this story about Billie Jean King at Wimbledon that will just, I mean, it had us in tears because it's so funny. And it also just depicts her as a human being that she loves the game of tennis so much, but her passion to make things fun Mm -hmm. and informative and, you know, just, I mean, she's truly is my champion um, when it comes to media and who I want to emulate. She's liked by everybody. She's admired by everyone and respected by everyone. out there on the tour and, and I just I love it so much and she's the reason I'm doing television is because of Mary Carilla she pushed me to do the job I mean I can't even talk because I adore her so much yeah no same goes here I say it in the podcast but it's true I am a student of Mary Carilla's I've watched what she's been doing for years her Olympics coverage is amazing you are going to want to listen to this episode because I literally have told people the Billie Jean King story probably four times since I heard it mm-hmm. uh, and you now get to do the same so listen up to our episode with the one and only as I like to call her Carilla. So here's what I want to talk about. Three things. That's it? Yeah. Can, I do, can they be yes or no answers? Yes, they can. All right. Well, my first answer is, is 12. All right. Oh, yeah. That's my first answer, no matter what your question 12. is. 12. I like it. And then sorghum. Mm. That was always a good answer, I thought, like in, in high school. Like, like favorite like... additive sorghum? <laughs> sorghum. Is this going to be a nightmare for me? Because <laughs> I'm sitting in between two people that are way, 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 way smarter than me and way more well-read than me. So they're going to pull out questions. They're going to pull out words this and is a stories. This literature podcast. Yeah, we didn't tell that's you that. my point. <laughs> Dostoevsky <laughs> or Nabokov? Where should we start? This is my problem today. This is my problem today. I want to know how you got into broadcasting outside of... Because what people don't realize about you is that you were a very good player in your own right. I have a photo that's to That's a nice way it. to describe my pointy-headed career. No, but I mean, a lot of people don't realize, you know, there's a lot of people in broadcasting and they think they just, because you have this great broadcasting voice and sound, but I mean, what happened? I mean, I sort of know, but... Yeah, so I was at, uh, the year-end championships used to be in New York at Madison Square Garden, and I was there one night, and of course, as Stubbsy knows, I will watch any tennis match. and so there are all these famous people that were getting interviewed in between matches. You know, Billie Jean was there, Virginia Wade lived in New York, and she was there. All the, now it's the end of the night, and there's one match left. And it's Tracy Austin against Yvonne Gulagong. I'm hanging around for that. 
And of course, I've already blown the suds off a few. You know, I'm just hanging around. You know, uh, can, meaning you've had a few drinks. Just, just, I mean, just to be sociable, whatever. I wasn't. I mean, I was unemployed. I was just. I was there to watch tennis. And someone from the WTA, from uh, Virginia Slims, maybe said, "Hey, they need somebody. They need to get an interview for this." You know. And so I said, sure. I, and I started talking about why, why I think this is going to be a great match. By the way, it was. It was 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, Tracy Austin. Wow. Um, and what happened is after they interviewed me, the two guys who were calling it for Madison Square Garden Network, one of them was Bill Talbert, who said, why don't we let her sit in on the call? They didn't even give me a headset. They gave me a, they put a microphone in front of me, and I just started talking about this match. Wait a second. But that was they, the first time I was ever on, a, on, on TV. Did they know you were... Did they know what they were getting? <laughs> did they know what they were getting into? Absolutely not. No, I mean, I'd... I'd Three hours later, I'd batteries be... ran out of the microphone. They decided, <laughs> they said, I guess... They said, I think she should be on and TV. There was a guy for, from USA Network named Mark Stolberger who heard me that night. And half a year later, this was in 1980, so I, Wimbledon was my last first round loss ever. <laughs> I <laughs> lost to Pam You could have just said your last match. My last loss... I lost in about 14 minutes over on court 427. I knew I had to stop playing. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And this guy who had seen me that night at Madison Square Garden said, hey, USA Network's going to start doing some tennis matches. You know, do you, do you feel like doing some? So I did a couple. And it wasn't a real career. I, was, I, had, to, I, I had knee surgery again. I, had to re, I was teaching tennis. Whatever. And then it got to be more the next year. And then eventually they put me on men's tennis. And then there we go. All of a sudden, I had I had something I could do. But so it was a very fortuitous. It was it was very lucky. It was very haphazard. Pretty random when you look back. Renee, because as you know, she's demure. She's a wallflower. Yes. We call her retiring. You know, she's yes. she's very quiet. Doesn't share opinions. So she tweeted, wait. Do you call her Renee? <laughs> I don't call her Stubsy. You don't call her no, Stubsy. I don't believe in nicknames, Mary. Wow. Why is why. that? Can I ask? I'm, I don't know. I'm Canadian. I like. Giving people their actual name. Hi, Mary. Hi, Renee Stubbs. Oh, see, I call Canada America Light. No, we call it America's Hat. <laughs> America's Hat. Oh, so you do believe in country nicknames? Yeah. Oh, okay, fine. It's just, a, it's just. A I great. love Canada. Me too. It's a great place. But oh, before I, I, I want you to, I want you to answer a question. But can I tell you that uh, Stubbsy and I were doing the Olympics. Rio. I was in Rio. She was in Stamford, Connecticut. Somehow we made that work. We're calling a match. We're calling a match. And so first first up, whatever, I, I say, so uh, it's Angelique Kerber against, you know, Monica Puig. So Stubbsy, and all of a sudden in my ear, someone yells, it's Renee. And I'm like, who the hell's Renee? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd ever call well, you. No, actually, actually, it started in uh, London when they told you when we had a, we, we were doing the final here in London for NBC. And we had Sharapova and Serena, oh, that's right. and they said to Mary before the t- that's match, right. they said, now, now listen, Mary, it's the final. We need you to call Renee, Renee, and not Stubbsy. <laughs> and so we started. Impossible. We started it. The camera came on. Kind of came, you know, we had the <laughs> eh, dun, 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 the music. Everything was great. And then the Can- and Renee, this and that. By the third, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What, what's the, what's the NBC? We got that big lush. Yeah. What grand. is it? But did I get? Did I call you Stubbsy? Oh, there you go. You got it. You got it. Okay. So for for the first three games, it's Renee and it's Renee. By the third, about about the middle of the third game, it was all gone. Stubbsy was back into the mix, and NBC just thought there's just absolutely no point in me trying to tell Mary what. But we digress. What was the question you were trying to ask? Well, there's there's a couple questions I want to ask. But while we're on the subject of the Olympics, yes, badminton. 
The Rant. The Classic. Rant. Classic. The Rant. Uh, slightly less known, but my personal favorite, you making egg bread in Sochi with Maria Sharapova. That was terrific. How did this That come was about? terrific. What, what, when, what's our next? When can we expect our next? The, the French open accordion music when you're comparing Francesca Schiavone to a painter. I mean, I'm a student wow. of yours, Mary Carilla. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. Like where, That's fun stuff. I like ha- doing that. <laughs> Talk me through the balance of... When do they say that's too crazy and you can't do it, and when do you just insist anyway? Like, <laughs> well, I, I, I have, say both. I, I have no real juice. I mean, I, 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 my, the power I have is, is minimal. I'd like to think I have influence every now and then, but, you know, sometimes you can sell an idea, and yes. they're not always my ideas anyway. Um, I played croquet here. Mostar. Uh, most <laughs> Mostar, all your ideas. So, but the wackadoodle ones tend to be tend to come out of my, my head maybe, but... Okay. Chicks, chicks on bricks didn't last long. So here's what happened. Yeah, so, tell me. so we were working together, Subs and me, uh, on Tennis Channel, and so we, I wanted to do a bunch of stuff with her, and, so we, and they allowed us to do something called Chicks on Bricks for the French <laughs> Open. It was outstanding. Um, and then we came here to Wimbledon, and we did Babes on Blades. We did, we did a couple of Blades. And then it was all over. I think one of the reasons, Stubbsy, is because... For the U.S. Open, I think we never got past the title Hose on Hardcourt. Yeah, that was the biggest problem. We couldn't get that cleared um, with either the USDA or with Tennis Channel. And then so... Should we bring it back for the podcast? (laughs) The whole point of a podcast is you could do dumb shit like this. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see how uh, people respond to it on Twitter and bring on Hose on Hardcourt. Well, what I was going to say before we got into the Olympics is Renee tweeted who... Do you want to hear from? And the answers really ranged. Obviously, the greats, la la la. Umpires, the single most popular response, Mary Carlo. Oh, that's nice to know. Mary Carlo, because I think they they realize that you've been, you've been reined in on television, (laughs) and in a podcast, you're Uh, allowed to do whatever the f you want, Mary. I I see. And say and come up with some great ideas. What's if you had one choice to do here? Because we're in London, we're at Wimbledon, we're on the grounds actually here. On the roof of the, on the media, roof center. The media right. center. Overlooking. If there was one thing that you could do, that you were allowed to do here at Wimbledon, what would you do? No, well, do you know what I did? And it never or aired. You, or you did? It, it got censored. It, it never aired. Too hot for TV. So you see those two towers there? Yeah. As you know. Buildings uh, behind those, those Court 18. Right off of Henman Hill is where I've been staying for many years with Billie Jean King and Alana Claus. Just a gal's roommate. It's yeah. outstanding. Tr- trio? It's yeah. outstanding. Um, and it's very convenient. You just kind of roll down the hill in the morning, and you're at work, <laughs> which I've done once or twice. <laughs> anyway, so I was working for TNT, HBO. I had been I had been doing covering Wimbledon for HBO Sports, uh, and then they lost their contract. TNT picked it up for three years, and I said to them, "I've got this great idea. We get we show Billie Jean King because we had a balcony right off of that right off of that that building. I said, how about we get Billie Jean King." Egging Henman Hill. <laughs> so of course Billie Jean said yes. Yes, of, of course. course. And we shot it. We were, we were no. right here. We, yeah. we shot it. That film exists somewhere. That film exists somewhere. And the beautiful thing is, I'm like on a walkie-talkie talking to Billie Jean. Go. And I'm saying, all right, Billie. And she has a bowl of eggs, okay? <laughs> she has a, and the idea was that she was going to throw them and obviously not aim at Henman Hill. But then I was going to edit it and shoot okay. people getting hit by eggs, right? Yeah. There. Although, <laughs> I mean, depending it's on how pretty good arm is. Still. Exactly right. She could maybe get it. Could have happened. This here. was, this was comedy gold, Caitlin. Okay, and and I'm saying to Billy, I'm on a walkie-talkie talking to Billy. I said, all right, Billy, uh, 
make it look like you're warming up. And here's Billie Jean King, who's won 20 Wimbledon titles. The most of anyone. Doing arm farts. Well, wait, like she's going. <laughs> so anyway, so I got this whole thing going, and I've got a crew, and I bring it back. We can't air that. What? Oh, this is an Emmy. Emmy. Daytime Emmy. Why? Special. This is crackling good television. But why? They just said it just. They thought I was clinically insane. I think that was part of it. Yeah, but yeah, who but, but Billie Jean King went here. along with it. That was the well, great glory of it all. Well, it's interesting because I sat down with Alana, her partner of a yes. long time, and the CEO currently outgoing of World Team Tennis, and you know we were talking about oh the 75th birthday is coming up. Let's do something incredible to celebrate. Very nice. Did, I went to. I, I'm a recipient of Title IX. I'm a child of Title IX. Exactly. Journalism degree paid for by a tennis scholarship because of her. Correct. Like. I get tears thinking about it, truly. I know. But, you know, she's talking to me about how we have to get her out of the amber, right? Yes. People my age and younger, I'm 37, only remember her. It's this legend, it's this statue, it's this thing, and, you know, the balcony and the waving. Yeah. Why the fuck can't we show her throwing eggs? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that would bring her the and hipsters. Arm farts. The, and the arm farts. I'm telling you what, I, I, it was, what I, I brought back what we had already shot. And we then need we need to find that. I know. These are like the we lost need to find is there some, tapes. Like, is there some AV Is club? it a TNT? I would love is it. It was TNT. TNT? And, and we didn't, they stopped me. Once they, I, I got Billy doing the whole thing with the eggs and the thing and the warming. And then they said, uh, we can't. This is, I think they were afraid. TNT was new to the All England Club. The great God, pity Channel 7 haven't got that film. We could show it this year because we're gone after this year. <laughs> right? The great Bed Midler once said, I have standards. They're low, but I have them. At the All England Club, the standards are high. Yes, and TNTs, they didn't want to upset the... I, I get it. I get it. I just feel it was a, a, a real lost. It was right, a lost I, I, moment it is my, in time. It is my objective to we find have that film. To, we have to find somewhere. that somewhere in a vault. Um, <laughs> one of the... My favorite things you've done recently, HBO Sports, Margaret Court, mm. serious for a second. Mm. As a gay person, me, mm -hmm. I'm watching that thinking, you gave her a very fair shake. I had to. I mean, uh, that, uh, when, uh, when I asked to do the piece, um, my the executive producer of Real Sports, a, really a brilliant fellow named Joe Persky, he said, Mary, you know we don't do agenda journalism. Because obviously he had an inkling of where I landed on this thing. And I said, I promise you it will be balanced. And we spent a week in Perth, Australia with Margaret. And I was actually there when we shot this um, I was there on the day that gay marriage passed in Australia. Wow. And I said to Margaret, how do you feel about this? Because I knew how she felt about it. I, I said, are you surprised by this? I think that was my question. And she said, I am because I know that I am part of the silent majority. Mm -hmm. And when I brought that to, I interviewed, I only interviewed three people. I interviewed Margaret, Billie Jean King, and Martina. And no big I, deal. And when I said to Martina, yeah. she said she's part of the silent majority. Martina, of course, said the majority is never silent. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting counterpoint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the great um, thing about that in Australia actually was uh, for me, obviously being Australian and having to sort of get a, a few questions and knowing that I was gay. You know, I always go to Billy. Uh, I often go to you, Mary, because you're sort of my, uh, I don't know. Guru, Guru. Calm me down. No, Mary's actually. Well, Billy's been, my touchstone. Well, and Mary's often mine as far as, you know, she's been my biggest champion as far as getting into media. but. I asked Billy, I said, well, you know, I sort of wanted to know what Billy said about that. And Billy's reaction was, if you get your name put on anything, and, and hers was, of course, the USTA National, Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. 
And Margaret has a name. She said, if you have your name on anything... Margaret Corderina at Melbourne Park. Yes. Yeah. You have to understand that there, there are people coming into that arena, into that court, that are not like you. And you have to be accepting of everybody. And that, that to me, was the best answer that I heard on that was from Billie Jean. Well, when the USC National Tennis Center named it after Billie Jean, remember that great moment where she said, Mi casa es Mi su casa. casa. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I told you this story, but um, the day before the Australian, that Craig Tiley, the tournament director, refused to talk to us. We tried multiple times. Which is unusual, because I'll give Craig I, a lot of credit. He's, I, I he's, was very disappointed in him. I'm sure you, you, there are things to give him credit for, but I think he should have spoken to us. Anyway, but Craig, listen to this. So the day before the Australian started this year, um, I saw Casey Delacqua. Australian player who's gay, open, openly gay, two children, children. who's been criticised by by Margaret Court. And let's just say for the record, Margaret Court is not shy and retiring in her opinions. It's not like I mean, not she, she leads a no. congregation, she writes op-eds, and most sort of incendiary was the op-ed where she wrote about gay people having children. And again, like I'm not right. an agenda journalist either, but that felt like it was open season after that. Right, right. I mean, she she and Mike Pence fall in line. Our vice president fall in line in a lot of important ways. Um, that could be difficult for someone like me. Anyway, so I see Case, and she's playing doubles and mixed doubles at the Australian. And she she still can play, obviously. Um, she was playing with Ash Barty, and she was playing uh, mixed with John Pierce. That's, yep. So you know she, they're going to get on some show courts. Oh, yeah. And so I saw her, and I told her that I was doing this story about Margaret Court, and I told her that I'd been in Perth. And she'd spent a lot of time as a kid with Margaret. Margaret yeah. helped her She's game. From wow. She's from Perth. She's from Perth. So she said, Craig Tiley talked to me this morning. And he said, look, I, I agree with you, Case, but it's, it's a lot harder to take a name off of an arena than to put it on. That's what he told her. And I said, well, all right. I said, but Case, there was no way they would put you on Margaret Court Arena. And here's how cool Casey Delacqua is. She said, I want to play on Margaret Court Arena. Yeah. Mm. I want to walk on that court mm -hmm. in front of my friends and my family and my fans to let them know I belong here. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. How yeah. cool is that? Well, well now okay, I'm going to cry cool. again. Uh, <laughs> oh, all we do is cry here <laughs> Wimbledon, uh, with Caitlin. That's what she does. <laughs> it's just, who knew, you guys? It's yeah. this tough exterior. but Yeah, exactly. We've cracked you open like a walnut. So, so anyway, I'll, it's interesting. But There's, the last thing I'll add, yes. and again, I, 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 my, honestly, my intention is not piling on because it's kind of an easy target. But I mean, Margaret Court was also on the side of apartheid. Correct. Uh, correct. This back in the day, she yes, she thought that she made a statement um, when Arthur Ashe had gone to South Africa, and his point was, and there were plenty of blacks who didn't want him to go there. I'm right? Sure. And he went anyway because he said he wanted to, he wanted to walk among young black kids and let them know that people like him. Existed. around exactly yeah. and belonged very and, and margaret and back yeah. in the day and look i i have a deep respect for margaret she's one of my heroes growing up of course. Margaret, are you kidding me yeah me too but she back then she said she thought south africa got it right with apartheid right you know i mean so that this is a woman look and a lot of people have you know single issue alt-right people you know they're either anti-abortion or anti-gay and so that's why and it explains why they could support someone like donald trump right um, who doesn't seem to share other values, but for them... For them, that's all they care about. A lot of them sure. just care about one that, thing yeah. or two things. Yeah, so everything else doesn't matter. And everything else they can... I they, get it. Yeah, right? I don't, I don't personally agree with it, but I get it. Uh, we talk a little bit about, you know, records and Serena, and obviously Serena Williams going for a 24 is, you know, hugely momentous. Don't you feel... I grew up with Steffi being the all-time greatest Grand Slam champion at 22. Two. 
do you feel like the goalposts moved a little bit for Serena? Is there a racial thing going on there? Because honestly, when I was a kid, it did not matter. Margaret Court was not part of the conversation, not in any sort of diminishing way. It was just seen as a different thing. Right. You know, the Australian Opens that she racked up came at a time when people, you know, I'm not sure planes flew that far. So not that many people played it. So I'm just asking, because I feel like I should ask, and you seem like the best person I could possibly ask, short of maybe Margaret Court herself, are the goalposts moving? Did they move? Did people all of a sudden think 24 was more important? Or was it just another thing that Serena could then conquer because we want her well, to be I mean, the Well, I mean, look, no one's ever going to touch Margaret's Grand Slam record. She's got 62 titles. 64 if you count the fact that in two of them it got rained out, so they split the title. All right? <laughs> so she played singles, doubles, and mixed and doubles. No one is ever, no tennis player who plays now is ever going to play singles, doubles, and mixed yeah. and win as much as Margaret Court. So that's... That's untouchable, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And yes, she played at a time when a lot of a lot of players, a lot of the draws were soft because she played a lot of fellow Aussies, whatever. Um, but when people talk about about Serena, you know, I, I think Serena's getting plenty of credit, frankly, and and I think she'll, she's still got a couple of more major wins in her. I do too. I mean, I really, I'd be surprised if she didn't win more majors. I'm not convinced she can't win this, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're only in the second round, so. Yeah. Um, but honestly, the greatest match player I ever saw, ever, was Mo- Monica Seles. Monica Seles. Monica Seles yes. was the greatest match player I ever. I thought she was going to be the greatest of all time. Tell me what match player means, just in terms just of where in she terms get of she never took off one point. Yeah. She had a, an unbelievable ground game. She had an incredible mind. Yep. And she she had to, she stopped with an I major. She got one more after she got stabbed. Yeah. And of course. Steffi Groff won a lot of majors in her absence that I, I'm going to assume Monica could have won. So I think she is lost in the mists of history more than just yeah. about anybody. Interesting. She That's was a Caitlin here, and, and I love watching Serena play. I love course, watching her compete. Even when she's not playing well, she competes well. It's a lot of fun. But I used to do Monica Seles matches. I, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. We I, did her we, comeback match. We did her, which was... We did her comeback match. We certainly did. After with, the with, uh, with uh, wow. ESPN in Canada. Yep. It was a rotten match, unfortunately for us, Stubbs, because it was, I think it was the first time we ever worked together. Yeah. And, and it was over in this 12 match, minutes. And it was over in about 12 minutes. <laughs> she beat... No, that was the Mary Pierce. No, that Martina was Hingis. Hingis. That was a Hingis We're match, We're getting right? our crappy matches mixed up. We've had a few together. <laughs> We haven't had. We do a, make crappy matches entertaining, though. Well, we try. But all I'm saying is, when I would do a Monaco Sellers match, the first set stats would come up, and it would say 19 winners, one error, for Monaco Sellers. Yeah, I mean, Serena can hit a lot of winners too. Sure. No, Everybody get a lot of winners, but they also hit a lot of their. Yeah. But that was what was absolutely amazing about Celis was how big she went on every shot she took. Yeah. And it was like Camilla Georgie with no errors. <laughs> yeah. And, and it the was... same scrunchie. Well, hold on a second, though. <laughs> tell me, tell me, the where tennis lost out because obviously you know, um, you know, through the periods. Of because years. I'm elderly. The great, the this great is about my dotage. No, no, because I've sat. I sat. Let through. me just note for the record: neither of these ladies I'm sitting next to looks a day over forty. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank I'm you. sixty-one. Thank you. Um, T- tell me how Mold. tennis lost one of the truly great rivalries because I sat through a lot of those matches with Steffi and Monica yeah. when when the stabbing happened. And that was going to be amazing. No, sad, 90, sadly, 92. I was standing there the day that that happened, actually. Oh, you were Steffi. there in Germany. Yes, I was, playing doubles with Steffi in Hamburg Ugh. when that happened. Um, so that's a, a memory, a day I will never forget. I was a part of that. I spoke to Monica in the morning of that. We'll get into that at a different time, but on a different podcast. But... 
Monica Sellers to me, like you said, Mary, one of the greatest, truly greatest matches I ever watched was the 92 French, French Open final. And to me, Steffi was one of, if not the greatest match yeah. players I ever saw as far as every point was next point, next point, yeah. next point. Yeah. And they, they never worried about that. Now when he went for the towel, I mean, watch that match. Awesome. No one went for a towel. No one took timeouts. Stubbsy. It was point by point. Tell me how great that rivalry was and what what we missed out on. That, well, that's what I'm saying. That, that I, to me, that would have been that would have been right up there with 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 Christian Martina and Rafa and Roger. I just thought that was, I, it was an absolutely tragic loss to us. That 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 got stopped. Can I tell you though? I called a lot of Groff matches, and the, I loved how quickly she played, and no nonsense between points to the to, and it got but it gets to the point where. We couldn't get in replays. <laughs> she was just, it was like, give me a ball, give me yeah, a ball. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was something awesome about it, but then she'd hit this ridiculously huge forehand with her feet flying out of her shoes, mm -hmm. and I'm there, we got to show that. We didn't have time. We don't have time. We don't have time. How yeah. great We're is that? Here's, here's Rafa taking 40 seconds in between points at We're the French Open. Time out. <laughs> We're implementing a time clock in, in tennis to stop the Rafael Nadal's 40 seconds and the Maria Sharapova's going back and fiddling with the strings and getting the towels and all this. Yeah. And back in Steffi and Monica's day, yeah, you couldn't get like in replay. You couldn't get in a replay. <laughs> so don't tell me you can't play quicker. In all of your years of watching Steffi play, how many times did she come over her backhand? Oh, she hit one to win a Grand Slam uh, against Martina, I believe, uh, at Wimbledon. She she hit over her backhand when someone came into the net no. and she was under the pump. And I tell you, she very rarely missed it. She very rarely missed her over backhand. But I loved her slice backhand. But it, do you know how much of a nightmare love her slice backhand would be oh. on these in these day and age with everyone's grips the way they are? Mm -hmm. Her night, her slice would be a nightmare. There's a reason why Roberta Vinci could be top, you know, 15 in the world yep. because no one sees a slice anymore. Yeah, no, it's no. underutilized shot. It yeah, is. It Mary is. had one. That's all I had. I, Who what? was your favorite player other than you? Know, you talk about Monica. Because, I mean, uh, who's your, who's your favourite pl player to, first of all, commentate? Second of all, who was who someone that you would like to see do really well now, that we could see more of? I can't pick a favourite player because normally it's the matchup that, yeah, that yeah. gets you What's going, What's your favourite right? matchup then? Let's go with that because I feel the same way. Well, uh, women's tennis, men's tennis. Women's tennis matchup? I, need, I like someone. I love power going up against variety. So give me that matchup any day of the week. Yesterday, Osaka Nikleska. How was it? Amazing. Tremendous, right? Tremendous. <laughs> You've got a 19-year-old, you know, boss machine trying to hit 110 miles an hour in Osaka, and yeah. she's got sliced forehands on the line to do it. <laughs> and then you've got Nikolescu, who's just driving you nuts. The most annoying tennis player in the world to play against. Yulia Putinseva, can I, can I put in for yeah. her? You that can. is, and I love watching Putsi. Yeah. I watched her play last night. We finished off. She's not. She is. I mean, put, how annoying! She wins like ten eight in the third matches and throws herself on the ground and is jumping up. Colossal pain in the keister, sure. but plucky yeah. and annoying. Cornet. Cornelie, say Cornet, the drama queen. Yeah, we have a lot of those. We have a lot of those. Um, Can I tell you who I watched last year? Actually, just right down here, Georgie Cornet. Ah, uh, ah. You got the dad coughing during the serves. <laughs> 
you got Alizé. Was he really coughing during the oh, yeah. show? Oh, I yeah. know she, he was accused of that. He was accused of it two matches later, doing it against Cornet. Just hocking up loogies? Oh, while <laughs> you got you got Cornet <laughs> appealing people, to the Mary. French Federation. It's, people, the Italians. it's all about the matchups. Anybody it's who, all about anybody matchups. who follows, follows an individual player, sure, fine, have your favorites, but the matchups are really Well, that's why great. we haven't had great, necessarily great Serena Venus matchups. No. You know that, and, and, they're, and they're fraught anyway, obviously, because they're so close. And playing your sister's got to be such a playing, that's got to be crazy. Yeah, but that's Justine, Anna, we had a whole story in the second or third issue about what I love watching her. What it could have been, and uh, Serena, Serena, because those matches were compelling and they were close, and Anna got more than a few, which you can't. She really knocked out. I rem I seem to remember a year where Anna beat her, beat Serena in like three straight Grand Slam quarterfinals. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that I think that happened. That would have been great. And great then just team went away. Slice back in. Yeah. You know, variety. ability to come in. Variety is so important. Do you think variety will ever come back into tennis? I do. I'm I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Okay. I really am. Why? Because it, because it's gotten to the point where you can kind of it's why I love tennis. You can play any way. You can be short. You can be tall. You can be powerful. You can be handsy. You could be. You know, Let's not be right. handsy here. <laughs> hands down. Hands down. Hands down. Um, they are down. They're under the table. All right. Very good. No, I mean, you can you can play any kind of game you want. And I would like to think that at a certain point, power does not dictate everything. And I think we are. I, at, at a certain point, I think people will realize how beneficial it is to get to the net again. Yeah. I blame. I have a theory. Tell me. Tell it's half-baked. Uh, does that matter? Most our favorite kind. Most of <laughs> My theory is that the two-handed backhand killed serving volley tennis. I agree. Do you really? Want to know something? I played college tennis D1 with two hands. A year ago, I switched to one. Just for fun. And? My game is, I'm in the net. She's played with me yeah. constantly. I just want to get in. And my grip's yeah. right there. Yep. And you see these young guys, we were just talking about Titsipas, team. Love him. You know, it's... Shapovalov. One hand Shapovala. is coming back. It is coming back. I'd like to see it more on the women's side. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. It's a little bit different. The problem with the women is they don't have the strength when they're kids. But I think that's on coaches to say, stick with yeah. it. You're going to lose yes. and get your ass kicked for a year. But when you finally figure it out, right. you're going to have that slice. You're going to have that. It's, it's also over. a gay theory. It it's is my a gay theory. <laughs> it's my gay theory. It's not a... It's not a I, mean, um, I don't want to put a blanket statement on because I don't want everyone out there freaking out. There's probably some parents out there that their, kid, their, their daughter's going out hitting one hand and they're like, oh my God, she's gay. And they're like, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. But it's just a phase. It's a two-hander back, Mary. Oh, and she's coming to the net too. Oh, no. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We 
Well, you were uh, on one of my favorite podcasts, the No Challenges Remaining podcast, with Racket contributors Courtney Nguyen and Ben Rothenberg. Yes. And I you like had them. this incredible, and I think that this should be adopted, maybe as like a political platform. Tell me. Serving and volleying as a religion, as a as a political viewpoint. Serving and volleying as a... <laughs> How about I, a request for serving and volleying once every game as a must? <laughs> you kid. No, that's no. Well, my that's my whole good. point is you you can play it any way you want. You can't make somebody serve it, Molly. My point is that my point is, I, I'm convinced I have one somewhere. Um, is that I, like I'm a lefty? The late great Harry Hopman coached me for many years, and his whole point was it's much under pressure. It's much easier to hit a volley than to pass. That made utter sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lefty serving volley game. Especially when you had your backhand. And it was just pretty. No, it was my forehand that was even dodgier. Oh, you and my Ka- forehand was just shocking. You and Caitlin. Shocking, and me. shocking. But anyway, so the whole point was he would basically say, "You take your lefty serve, you serve into their backhand, you come in, you pop, you knock off the volley, hide your ground strokes at, at all costs." Yeah. Fine. <laughs> and then two-handed backhands got big. And uh, for so many players, their backhand is that's the last place in the world you want to aim and try to get to net. Yeah, especially in the women's game. Yeah, especially in the women's game. Yeah. And that to me has just kept so many people from from wanting to come in. And I think that's a pity. Yeah, it's a a total pity. pity. Well, and also let's not forget the speed of the courts. They've slowed them down a tremendous amount. I mean, look at Wimbledon here. Uh, You know, this year is going to play, is playing from what I've heard faster. But the ball's bouncing higher. I mean, back in our day, Mary, we'd come in on a great slice back end and it would be... I would come in to, on anything. You'd come, yeah. Well, me too. Hello. <laughs> We'd talk about bluff. Jeez. Chip and bluff. Chip and charge and chip and hope. You know, but the ball stayed low, so it couldn't, you couldn't really generate. You had to still hit up over the net first. Which, Correct. Which, if you're at the net, it's a, it's a volley down. Nowadays, with the spin and the ball being high, the ball is actually getting below the net as a volleyer. Now, you have to be a defensive volleyer or hit a great volley. So... The court speed and the rackets and everything, it's changed the game. But here's my here's the other point, and I used to teach a lot. Now, every now and then, I'll give a clinic. But what I try to tell people is, especially with all the power in this game, hmm. these days I'm with men and women, you don't have to be a great volleyer. You have to be a good volleyer. Hmm. So you have, you, smart they, you, you have can come in. Well, no, you can come there. You come in on so, so many people have such weight to their shots, mm-hmm. approach shots to get in. Like I wasn't, I didn't, I came in. On bluffs, yeah. so I actually had to be. My hands were the best part of my game. If if I had a huge approach game, I would just need to be a serviceable volleyer. Yeah, right. Because you're just getting that well, easy volley. And I, I watch so many of the men and the women. I'm thinking, how can you not come in on that? Yeah. Oh God. Oh, right. Yeah. All day. How that's can you all not come in? That's all you and I do in, go, the, in the green go, room. Go, go in. Go yeah. in. Go <laughs> in. That's like what are you doing? Caroline but they don't go in because their volleys are But you can. But again, they don't. You don't have to be a great volleyer. At these days, with this game, with the power, you have to be, just have a, to smart be a good ball here. Just, just a smart and, ball. And, and, and especially with the, the way people can hit, it's a one-volley deal. It's a one-volley deal. It's a one-volley. It's not like you're, you know, you're, you're covering, uh, the, you know, it's not, you're not a goalkeeper. Hit one volley. Hit a huge shot and hit one volley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Radwanska is a typical sort of, you know, she's got through her career really doing that. And she doesn't even come in, come in on anything big. She just comes in and understands that yeah. this middle of the court is where people want to play on a big point. And somebody who I really always respected was Hingis. Mm-hmm. If you Hingis. watch Hingis play big matches, and it cost her one slam, which I'll never tell her this story because she'll probably have nightmares about it, but she used to do what so many players should do, and some do, 
serve that flat wide serve on a on a on a big point, meaning set point, break point, match point, because every single player is going to most of the time hit that return through the middle of the court, take away the line, take away the error, and they're going to go big through the middle, which is the right shot to hit under pressure. But if you're coming into the net, that's right at you as a volleyer. Mm. And she used to hit that flat wide serve and come in and hit that inside out little scooper volley into the open court, point over. And players would be like, where did that come from? And she only did it five or six times, maximum a match, but she always did it on a big point. And if she had done that against Jennifer Capriati Mm. at the Australian Open, when she had her one match point, and Lisa Raymond and I were watching the match and we said, here it comes. It comes the flatty wide <laughs> with the scoopy inside out back and volley. Flatty scoopy. Flatty scoopy. The flatty scoop. The one two flatty scoopy. And punch. she didn't do it. And, and Jennifer's return landed a foot from the baseline and she ended up getting behind in the point and she lost the point and she lost the match. So that is the, if she had done it on that point, she would have won. And this players need to develop that one, one or two times. And Radwanska does it from time to time. Well, Radwanska has some of the best hands in the game. Oh, I mean, yeah. just, no, it's just great concept. Just, you know, great imagination. Yeah. I like players who actually, it's why, it's why I hate on-court coaching. That's an entirely different podcast. That would take 14 hours. Yeah. Okay, but give, but us, here's a, a give us a nutshell on why. Because I, if you are not smart enough to win a match, I want you to lose it. But How's that? Counterpoint. <laughs> is that, is that, <laughs> but counterpoint. I know you like on-court coaching. I do, and I'll tell you why. Tell me. I want to watch the very best Points. I want to watch multi-millionaires, the very best players in the world, figure out a way to win their own matches. Yeah, that's yeah not, I agree. That's, I, that's the most compelling argument I've ever heard. But don't you think <laughs> Here's my argument for it. <laughs> I and, when, and when they look vulnerable and weepy, and uh, you like that, I think that makes them look... I, uh, the whole look of it is awful to me. The optics are terrible. Talk about Putin Saver. Putsy! Putsy will give you some great <laughs> volume on her... her have you seen her on-court coaching? Of, just go to YouTube. Of course. Type in Putin Saver and just turn the volume up. She's practically having a dialogue. Here's my Putin thing Saver with on-court coaching. Putin Saver is a gift coaching. to the internet, first of all. We just <laughs> say that. It's not a gift, but for some it is. My thing with her, the on-court coaching is some. I didn't have a lot of power, but I had a brain. Yeah. Some players had okay. unbelievable power. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have a brain sometimes, not all the time. You but can on the rub court, a couple I had a brain. of cells together every now and then. I didn't have a lot of power, but I had a brain. And some players have all power. So you're saying that no takes brain. away the advantage? It's taking away it one advantage I had because exactly. you're using somebody else's brain to help you be better. Yeah, I hate it. You know, so when you come off the court, you go, you know, you actually could hit this ball there and there. And they go, oh, really? Oh, that's right. Well, next time. Okay. Or you do it before the match. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what you should do. But Hingis would have won that Grand Slam on a, on a flatty scoopy. Well, but if, she was if, smart enough to figure it out on her own. There we go. Right? Which is That's why she won point. so much. You're making with a point no for us. With no weapon, with not one, <laughs> Martina Hingis literally had not one weapon. She had an unbelievable, solid everything and a great brain. Well, here's it. Here's to reflect. My okay. mind has been changed. Has it really? Okay. July 4th, 2018, the year of our Lord, on the roof. <laughs> I now agree with you. Independence Day. Here's here's what I here's another thing I used to when I when I taught when I. A couple of knees ago, when I could actually. How many knees ago? Three, two. <laughs> they are. I'm running on. I'm riding on rims. You just cartilage. I'm cartilage. riding on rims. Just yeah, it's not. Pre- anyway, but what I would tell anybody about, and and this is really globally in sports, the whole point is to put your opponent or the other team, if it's a team, in a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, the, that's what's great about sports. We've been watching World Cup here. Mm-hmm. You put them in... Okay, so how do you put the other side in a state of emergency? Mm-hmm. You can use power. 
or you can use guile, or you can, yeah, you rush them, right? Mm -hmm. You make them do things that they're not... Or you grind them down. Or you grind them down. You hollop them. You disrupt their rhythm. There are so many ways to do it, but that is the whole point. And if you are not clever enough, smart enough, strong enough, patient enough, fit enough, fit enough to put the other person in a state of emergency, you don't deserve one. You're not supposed to win. Okay. The other team is supposed to win. The other player is supposed to win. That's my whole, that's what's great about sports, and right? Here's, here's what's great. Mary's in TV, and TV love it. That's why we won't ever get rid of it. What? Encore coaching, because TV love it. That's, they say, how do, who says they love it? Who's, who's, oh, where did that... A lot of people. Okay, I'm going to say something controversial. I'm going to throw a bomb because I can. Okay. I'm talking to two veteran broadcasters, best in the biz. One of the things that I think us at home, plebes, like about Encore Coaching is it's doing some of the work that some of the commentators should be doing, right? Yes. I hear a lot of color. I hear a lot of, oh, it's nerves. I hear a lot of, you know, da-da-da-da, graphics and the stuff. And don't get me wrong, it's nice. And I like it and I watch right. the shit out of it. Right. Every streaming service you can imagine. That said... I love both of you guys, truly, because you are explaining to me things that I do not see. When somebody says, oh, uh, Muguruza is well coached at this Wimbledon final Mm. against Venus because she is using this tactic and watch her to do this cross-court backhand. I'm thinking, I'm playing the grass court nationals at Westside Tennis Club next week and I'm going to be hitting on grass against some really, really good players and I got a six-foot partner. What do I need to do? How yes. can I translate that into something that means something to me? Yes. Not just, oh, she's pretty nervy, huh? That, and so to me, if you get rid of on-court coaching, which I'm now convinced maybe we can do it, then what ha- needs to happen from a, from a spectator, from a plebe's point of view, is we need more tactics. Talk to us like we're smart. Exactly. And if we're not smart enough, we'll get there. We'll yes. learn. Yes. Every other sport, you know, football, they want to tell you, well, look for this route and that, you know, and da-da-da-da. In tennis, it's you're dumbing it down to the to the middle, and I don't say you two specifically. Yes. It's not you two. Sadly, some rant over. Sa- sadly, some networks. Rant. Sadly, some networks that I've worked for will say we we're not catering to smart tennis fans. We no, we are catering to an overall audience. So don't talk to them like they're really tennis centric fans and understand tennis. Mm-hmm. So we do get a broad I mean I would say NBC would be a little bit be a bit more broad. Channel seven be a little bit more broad. Tennis channel? ESPN tennis? Go for it man. Get the skills, get the this, get it get it all in there. So it depends on what network you work for. Yeah. Of course. Yep. I mean okay so Mary you also work for HBO. You I do. do these great great one of my great f- f- best shows on television is real sports. Favorite um, story from there that you can that play. I've done, or yeah. that the show what, has done, because the show has done far more. That, I mean, I, I've been a, I've been out, I've been on it for over twenty years. Um, I know, I know. I'm elderly. I keep telling you. Um, <laughs> I and I tend to do the profile stories, yeah. you know, uh, which are lovely, and I've, I've I've been lucky enough to meet all all kinds of tremendous athletes. Um, but the show itself, they can, you know, they follow. You know, they'll go after... The, the, the great thing about HBO is they have boxing, but that's all they've got. Mm-hmm. They don't have any other sports. They don't have the rights to any other sports. They don't have to protect yeah. their relationship mm-hmm. with the NFL or the or NBA. D- or, or the particular player. Or the NCAA or, or the IOC. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so we get, to, we get to cover the waterfront and, and, and tell those kind of stories. And money trails. And Again, I, I, I tend to do the, the softer stories. 
you know, the quieter stories. I'm very happy, for instance, that they allowed me to do the Margaret Court story because mm -hmm. um, we haven't had that many um, we haven't had that many tennis stories on air. Yeah. Um, but I like doing. I, I, there have been so many remarkable stories. The, the nice thing about HBO Real Sports uh, with Brian Gumbel is there's no commercials. It's an hour-long show. There's no commercials. We only tell three, maybe four stories. Um, so it's layered. It's textured. You, you're, it's patient. Yeah. You get to tell a story, and, and, and you get to explain all of it and all the different parts of it. All right, so. explain playing with John McEnroe to win a French Open mixed doubles title, which people don't realize, Mary. Grand Slam. You are a Grand Slam champion. Champion. <laughs> We know the, the we know that Oli told you just you know get out of the way kind of thing, but yes. give me give me one or two fun because you grew up with John. I grew up with John. We we grew up a couple of blocks away from each other who, who, in a very who pretty town. Who recruited who for this mixed doubles um, <laughs> partnership? Uh, we grew up in a, a, a sweet little town in Queens, New York, called Douglaston, and we played together. I mean, back in the back in when we were kids, we'd play fourteen sets a day. I mean, the courts were pretty empty, yeah. and then Community once John tennis. became John. McEnroe, all of a sudden tennis, getting a court at the Douglas Club was a lot harder. But I mean, I was also the, I swam for the Douglas Club team. I, I bowled every Saturday morning for the Douglas Club. I mean, that was Wait, my bowled. whole life. What do you mean bowled? Bowled, bowled, bowled. Lawn bowls. Lawn bowls? It was indoors. Lawn it wasn't bowls. Oh, bowling. Indoor bowling. Got indoor it. bowling. Come on, come on. I worked at the snack bar. I was a waitress at the Douglas Club. Wow. I mean, I used to wait on the McEnroe's, you know. So this was, this was my whole life. And so John and I, 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 don't, I think I've told you this story, Stubbsy. I, um, we were playing one day. Renee, it's Renee. Oh, sorry, Renee. Oh, forgive me. On this podcast, it's Renee. On this, okay, fine, fine. I can, I can work <laughs> with that. Joking. So anyway, Stubbsy, uh, I, I was hit. We, John and I played. Uh, we were. I'm. T I was probably ten, and he was eight. Uh, he, and I used to be able to hang with him for a while, and then all of a sudden one day, he just kicked your ass. He just, he, he knocked me down, and I, and I, we're. We're drinking water out of tennis cans. Remember when we used to do that? Mm -hmm. Out of the metal oh, tennis yeah. cans? You have to worry about the ball fluff. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, the ball fluff. and I said to John, you are going to be the greatest tennis player in the world one day. And he said to me, this was my, that was my first ever commentary and my first ever review. He said, shut <laughs> up, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we both love Labor because we were both lefties and Labor was our guy at the time. So that's how far back John and I go. So we decide, John is an amateur at this 1977 French Open. He's there to play the junior event. Oh my God. And the USGA had given him, he was skipping his last month of high school. The USGA gave Explains him. Explains a lot. The USGA gave him $500 for the entire swing of French Open and Wimbledon. Oh my God. So he was staying in some incredible dumps. We were eating, and it was my like rookie year, so I had no money either. Um, and so we decided to sign up. It was during the team tennis day, so a lot of good players weren't there. Yeah. Um, so we sign up for the mix, and John is looking over the mixed doubles list and said, "Oh God, we're going to win this thing." I said, "What the hell are you talking? Where are you going to win this? Yeah. Never How won anything." I was 20, and he was 18. Oh my God. Yeah. And then we end up winning it because it basically I was puking on my shoes by the by the final, and he said, "Just just kick the ball over on your serve, and I'll do the rest." Which is pretty much, that was our strategy, and it was a winning strategy. What was match point? Do you remember it? I have no idea. I, Come on. I'm not kidding. I don't remember anything about my professional career. But then, so now, now we, we win the French Open. Oh, now you think you're the shit. No, I know I'm not, but I know he is. <laughs> so we come here to Wimbledon, and, you know, John is, John is figuring, all right, we can win Wimbledon. What the hell? 
we get to the quarters. John, this is the year that John goes through the qualies and gets himself to the semis before losing to Jimmy Connors. And our other great friend from childhood, we all grew up in Queens, Vitas Garolitis, was in the semi, the other semi against Borg. So John loses to Connors. And now Vitas is going to play Borg. And John did, he was, Connors intimidated him. It was the first time he'd ever played, and he, he was upset because he'd been playing well to get to the semis. So now, instead of us watching Vitas play Borg, We've got to play our quarterfinal mixed doubles match over on court two against Dennis Rawson and Martina Navratilova. Oh, my God. No big deal. No big deal. And we end up, um, my knees were already shot. I'd had, I think I had 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had, I'm telling you, I'd run out of them in my teens. So I had a brace on my leg and at eight all in the third set, Dennis Rawson, and I hit some ridiculous shot to try to get in on. And he nails me in the knee, in my bad knee, and oh, I go down. how dare he. And John... I had already dragged John McEnroe to a Christian meeting that my friend Betsy Nagelson, they had wanted, they could already see that John needed some guidance. Some <laughs> we had to bring him into the world of Christendom somehow. So, yeah, so I had dragged him early at Wimbledon to, uh, and Dennis Ralston spoke, and Stan Smith spoke, and Betsy Nagelson spoke. There used to be this whole community of religious players. So I had dragged him there. He was not happy. Was that started by Margaret? I'm just kidding. No, no, no. But I, so anyway, so now it's eight on the and Dennis Rawson, who we'd heard speak a week earlier, gets me in the knee and I go down. Drills you. And, and it's kind of late, you know, it's kind of slippery, juicy courts, whatever. And John looks over the net and, and first he says, are you okay? And I was. I was just, I, but he said, he points to Dennis and said, and he calls himself a Christian? <laughs> and for the next two games, eight all in the third, we're on our way to the semis of Wimbledon. And for the next two, all he tries to do is headhunt Dennis Rawls. That's all lose. he cared about. And we, and we missed out on the Borg Beatus So match. you lost and you lost. We, it, was, it was a bad day. And he had lost in the singles. Yeah. Jesus. Anyway, so that's my story. That's incredible. That actually is very redeeming for John. You think so? In that one, yes. In that one moment, yes, actually. <laughs> In that one shining moment, play the music. A little bit, yes. Can you add music to this yes, podcast? This yes. is when the this is the sweet, swelling. There we go. When the, when the one shining moment comes in. Aaron Copeland fanfare for the common man. Just when everyone on. thought John was just all about himself. John yes. was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah, and then he became John McEnroe, and I went back to and being you quit. Mary Crow. Yeah. And then and you he became retired. legendary. Mary <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, there's so many stories we could tell. This could be a, an unusually long podcast. Okay. Renee, oh. philosopher that she is, oh. servant volley. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they play tennis. I think so. What I was trying to get to earlier is servant volley as a, as a personality type. Yes. Explain that to people. I think, oh, here's my theory, another half-baked theory. We love theory. theories. <laughs> we certainly love careers. Oh, absolutely. I hope everyone's writing this down. I yeah. happen to like, like I think... If you, if you are a servant volleyer, it means that you want to create, you want to instigate, you want to be in charge of the point one way or another. Or your ground strokes suck, but carry on. <laughs> well, there, that's the subtext. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Let me color it in for you. This is what we do. Um, I, my favorite announcers are servant volleyers. I think if you have played the game from the baseline, you'll probably call matches from the baseline. Mm-hmm. That's why I like serving volley you announcers. You live life from the baseline, maybe. I, 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 you and, go and side there, to and there, side. There, that is a broad generalization, which is something I traffic in. A great team. And you go side to side, not up, down, and side to side. No, right. but I think it works as a. I think it works as an analogy for life. I think Are it does. Are you somebody who wants the ball? Are you somebody who yeah, wants? Give the, me the ball. Give me the ball. Let's, let's get this going here.
What do you think? I, well, I'm going to I'm going to save all the people that are on, uh, listening to this that run side to side and think, well, what about me? I said, well, there, there's the one that say I want the ball and I want it earlier, and then there's the ones that say I want the ball and I want it to come back and I'm going to get it. That's back. fine too. So there's you know no judgment. No, no, no. no it judgment. is not fine. Servant values are the best. Mary <laughs> okay. Carillo said so. End the podcast. All right, no, we're going to end the podcast on this. All right, the go three ahead. of us are servant volleyers with one-handed backhands. Now that you've discovered your one-handed backhand, Caitlin. I was. I discovered never I was been, so much earlier. There's yeah. never been a servant volleyer, one-handed lefty that I love more than than Mary Carrillo. Ah, uh, thank As you. As a human being, no, no. Uh, on a serious note, Mary. Mary has literally been the biggest champion of mine to get into uh, broadcasting than there ever has been. She literally would go into the production trucks at ESPN back in the day and they'd ask her, can you, uh, what do you think, we need someone, you know, is there any player? She's like, she'd just call me up and go, let's go, uh, uh, Renee Stubbs. And she would literally, like, without anybody hearing me or knowing anything about me, would grab me and had me go and do matches with her on ESPN and has pushed me, got me the job at NBC for the Olympics. She's just been my biggest, biggest champion, and I just, I, there's not many people that I love, seriously, more uh, in my professional life than this woman but, sitting next to me. Okay, that's, uh, uh, no, that's it's true. incredibly generous and, and I kind, her but so much. the other part of that is that I want to sit next to her and <laughs> calling a match. I mean, I want it, I want it to be smart and, and quick and thoughtful and in the weeds. I mean, I'm doing it. I'm doing it selfishly, Stubbs. I mean, I'm not. It's not like I, I'm fond of you or anything. I mean, clearly, Good to know. that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're off the Christmas list. And she calls herself a Christian. She calls herself a Christian. <laughs> um, I'm Stubbs. You know how I feel about you. I am. I'm enjoying your podcast, Caitlin. I'm enjoying this podcast. Thank you. Good luck to you. Thank you. Good we'll, luck to you. Please come I mean, back it's on. still in diapers, right? It's, it's still in diapers. Yeah, but it's. We're it's, not sure what's in the diaper. <laughs> could be bad. Could be good. Doesn't matter. We're having fun. We, we think it could be you. mixed on this. Can one. I just say something Please. about tennis and life in general? Fun is a good thing to have. Agreed. You know what Kim Kleist said? It's the only thing to have, right? On our podcast. What's the point? Her biggest word. I'm turning with tennis. Up. No, no. Leave it. Okay. The biggest word in tennis and life for her is passion. Mm. And. If you want to be good at something, you have to have passion, whether it's being a professional tennis player or whatever else. And there is no doubt that the, the single most passionate person in tennis when it comes to broadcasting and showing the best production is you, Mary Carrillo. Oh, and so that is so... It's I hope another, we get to work together it's truly again another before reason. we die. <laughs> that would be nice. Hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> but it truly, that's the biggest thing about you. It's passion every day. Comes into the production meetings, comes at the tennis courts. It's always about what can we put out as a tennis broadcast or real sports or whatever it is. It's passionate. And that is, you live and die by that. And Mary, you will live forever because of your passion in this sport. Wow. Last thing said. Thank you. We're out. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Jerry, Taylor Dalton, and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. <laughs>